Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Well, I'm Liliana, and I'm a gratefully recovering sexaholic. Um, you know, my, my sobriety date is 2009, and I came into FA in 2089. So I'm so glad I stayed in the room because lust had to beat me up several times pretty bad for me to get that for this lustaholic, sexaholic, Lust is cunning, powerful, and baffling, and also deadly. So um, it's only through my higher power that I um, that I I finally surrendered. I surrender. That's all I could say. I surrender. And it took me several years just to get my bearings, even after I surrendered. And um, you know, I can say that. Looking back, my difficulty is that um, when I came into F- SA, I thought that I would be here a short time because I had a really good relationship with my higher power, and I was sure that my higher power would heal me really fast. Maybe a year it would take. And I was very upset when a year and a half later, I was I I was you know technically sober, but I I, I hadn't been healed. And I, I, I was getting very upset about that and very um, resentful. But I didn't know how the big book tells us resentful, resentment is the number one offender. Well, I was to learn that over time. And uh, I had a little over five years of sobriety, technical sobriety. And I um, decided I need a relationship. I didn't ask God. I didn't ask my sponsor. I just went for it. And it was a disastrous, um, humiliating, painful experience. And it lasted about four months. And um, and anyway, um, so I had to start over. And this time my sobriety lasted over 11 years when I also decided I needed a relationship. Well, again, my picker is broken, so I had to find someone um, who was, you know, just as sick as I was. So I I lost my sobriety, but um, we became, you know, we developed more into like a friendship, but it became friendship with benefits, which did not benefit me. And the way I got out of that is I got on my knees and I said to God, after three years, I said, God, get me out of this and I'll never do this again. And finally, the God of my understanding gave me the, the grace to just call him up and say, it's done. I'm in SA. Don't, no contact. I don't want to see you. Don't call me. And uh, that was that was when I started back into um, what I call real recovery. 
you know, uh, I um, I resisted uh, SA. Uh, thanks to Dear Abby, in 1983, there was an article, and she, um, after I had been searching for many years and many years of therapy, finding my problem, what my problem was, she identified it in that one article of, of sexaholism, and I wrote to Simi Valley. They sent me a bunch of, um, uh, they weren't, a, they didn't have the book yet, so just leaflets of describing or what, you know, what the, what it was all about. And I, uh, the only meeting they had was in West LA and I live in San Diego and that's about 120 miles. And I thought, I know God doesn't want me to go up to LA and, and join a group of men. I, I know that that's not what God wants me for me. I didn't ask God if what he wanted for me, but I knew. So I, I said, I can't do that. I, I can't go up there. But I was happy to know that I was a sexaholic because at least I had identified what what was going on with me. And I tried it on my own, being very involved in my church. And I just get went downhill. And um, I think a gateway for me at that time, somebody at church who I respected suggested I go to this other meeting at the church of up the street for um, adult children of alcoholics. And so um, that was my gateway into 12-step recovery. I had heard through the grapevine that uh, there was a meeting of SA in San Diego, but I still didn't see myself going there. And uh, one day in um, March of 89, a friend said to me, look, I'll go with you. We'll go to the information meeting. We don't have to go to a meeting. We'll just go to the information meeting. So I said, okay. Well, of course, she didn't show up. But I said, well, I'm here. I'll go to the information meeting. And so, yeah, you know, it confirmed, you know, that I, I was a sexaholic. Yes, yes, yes. And they said afterward, you can come to the meeting now that you've been orientated. And so I went and um, I said to myself, I'll never have to act out again if I come to these meetings. There was only one meeting in San Diego, and I said, I'll never have to do this again. And that started my journey in, in, in recovery. Um, although it's been rocky, it's been painful, but it started my journey. Now, um, <clears throat> what was my setup for being a sexaholic? Well, I think it was helpful that I come from generations and generations of sexaholics, sexaholism being an issue. I think that was helpful. I think also it was helpful that um, I had some early uh, childhood trauma. I had a few uh, passing relatives that were just coming to visit for a while, uh, molest me. Um, they were older, of course, um, you know, I was just a child. And I had, by my own parents, emotional, physical uh, abuse. Uh, I think that was helpful to help having me set up. I don't think everybody that has that set up necessarily does what I did, but I went into fantasy. I went into disassociation. I, um, this is my survival mechanism. And I got, in, I got intrigued with uh, the sexual feelings and what they were all about. And, um, but I went on with my life. 
you know, I found God when I was age seven, so that was good. And um, I knew that uh, sex was something that people hid and didn't talk about. That was okay. And I think as a a young teenager is when um, the problem came up with uh, um, acting out sexually with with, uh, the opposite sex, with a boyfriend at first. And, you know, I, um, I knew from an early age that, that I, um, the only expectation my family had for me was to get married and have children and take care of the family, extended family included. But I knew that somehow I'd have to earn a living somehow because I, I just had a hunch it was, I just had to do that. Um, you know, so, so. You know, I always had like some kind of um, goal in my life that kept me distracted from, you know, anything to do with um, sexaholism. But sexaholism started to come in more and more and more. And um, finally, um, I found myself saying very at age 19 that to somebody that I was dating that I, yes, to getting married. I thought it was a solution to get out of my house, and um, and I thought it would be a solution. And I was quite immature, of course, at nineteen. And uh, we had a child, a daughter, and the crisis came for me when my brother, my younger brother, I'm the oldest of eight children. And my younger brother was killed in in Vietnam, and I um, could not handle. I didn't know what it was named, but it was called grief. I couldn't handle it. And I, I started to act out outside of the marriage. And I felt so bad about it. So I decided just get a divorce. And of course, keep all this a secret. So that's what I did. And I also managed to know they graduated from college and was able to um, get a career going. So I could su- help support my child and myself. And um and then this was the time of um, sex, casual sex was okay. And that went on until the, about 1980 when AIDS came about. And I knew, oh, my God, you know, you could die from acting out. So what I did was I went to um, masturbation. And I, I didn't know that it was... You know, I've never used pornography, but I have pornography in my head. So, um, so that's what happened, you know, and, and then I wanted to stop. I wanted what was in my head to stop, but it, it didn't stop. It just didn't stop. So, um, you know, as I said, I got into therapy. All they could find was I was depressed. Okay. So then um, I got into religion. And, um, yeah, you know, I was finding God. You know, I was having a relationship with my higher power. You know, and I was also going to weekly confession to confess my sins. And um, I remember I was in the line for confession one time. And there was me, the only female, and all these men. And I said, that poor priest, he's hearing the same confession over and over. 
you know, they probably all masturbated like me. But um, anyway, uh, it's kind of depressing. But I always had, like I said, I had goals. I had a, a daughter to raise. I had a job to, to to take care of. I had, you know, I was, I've always been active. So I was, you know, for a while, a long distance runner. And then I had an injury. So that ended that. So, you know, it, it it's just been a, a, a journey. And uh, one of the things that was helpful is um, my daughter noticed. Now, she had a good relationship with her, with my parents, her grandparents. And she noticed I had a bad relationship with them. And she asked me to please try to get along with them. And believe me, I wanted to fulfill that. I wanted to get along with my parents. I just didn't know how. Um, I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the spiritual tools. And so, um, so eventually from ACA, I uh, jumped into uh, Al-Anon. And I also jumped. I jumped into uh, at that time Overeaters Anonymous, uh, you know. And one time, my daughter said to me several years later, "You know, you're not making any progress getting along with your parents." You know, and I was, I thought, "Oh my God, I'm, I'm doing my best," <laughs> but I still had the lust problem, and, and I think that 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 was um, that was the issue. Now. Um, there's certain things that I have learned in recovery um, and, you know, through the step work and the tools, etc. But one of my biggest problems was uh, fellowship. And it's the same thing, you know, how, how do you, how do you do fellowship? Well, you know, because, because I always felt so lonely I would join a lot of groups, so I knew people. I, you know, I had groups to go to, so I could hang out. And twelve steps were like wonderful. You know, you always had a, a meeting somewhere, somehow. And um, but I, I just, I just couldn't get fellowship. And uh, the white book points out how that's important. And um, the other fellowships I was in was mainly women, so it, it was a little easier, but it was uh, more uh, challenging with the SA fellowship. So anyway, um, you know, I have a propensity to have sponsors that die. So, you know, several of my sponsors died, several left the program. And um, I got my last sponsor almost three years ago, and um, and it was just like, I needed a sponsor because the, my only motivation was that I wanted to do service for SA. And I knew that I could not do service for SA unless I had a sponsor. So anyway, thank God I asked somebody and thank God that she and her sponsor agreed to take, that I would, it would be okay. So I, I'm very grateful for that. And, um, and she'd been a good example to me, not only for service, but also for fellowship. And I've slowly learned on um, these past, uh, since the pandemic, about fellowship uh, much more. Because, you know, I've been able to connect more easily with people all over the world and in the three, three fellowships I'm in. And uh, I've been able to um, feel more comfortable um, with setting boundaries when I need to. You know, so so I'm just, all my learning has been slow and piecemeal. 
I, I, my parents died before. I mean, I was, we got along better, better and better, but my parents died before I could really directly t- give, get, get, make the nine step amends. And I, I wish they had lived longer, but you know, it takes what it takes. And, you know, I just keep coming back because of the kind of human being I want to be, you know, I want to be um, a good friend, a good sister, a good mother, a good neighbor. You know, that's what I want. You know, I had, um, and I still do, I deal, I deal with fear, doubt, and insecurity. In my last step study, I uh, found out how fear really has inhibited much of the things that would have been good for me. And th- that's probably what, you know, kept me from SA also for quite a few, for a few years. So, you know, I... Um, you know, I, I have asked God, I said, you know, God, this is such a, life is so lonely. Why is it that so? And then what helped me the most was I started praying. I said, I'm not the only one that's lonely. I said, I'm going to pray for all the people who are lonely. And I do that every day. And and that helps me. And I'm not as, I'm not as intensely lonely. I mean, I get lonely, but I'm not an intensely lonely, like before recovery, before the 12-step meetings, you know. And um, unfortunately, growing up, I became very self-sufficient and also very selfish and self-centered. And, and that's why I like service, because it gets me out of myself. And so I, I've just been uh, very grateful uh, for this way of life, this spiritual way of life that provides these opportunities for me. Um, now, what did before I came into to this fellowship, what did, what did sexaholism what did it cost me? It cost me a divorce. It gave me a transmitted disease, a sexually transmitted disease. I had an abortion. It kept me from healthy connections. It kept me immature. And it, it stunted my emotional growth. So that's what it cost me. So, um, you know, I, I am learning slowly really to enjoy life. You know, I, I love um, music and art and theater, and um, I love learning. And, um, you know, there's so many things I do enjoy, and, and I'm, di- I'm just really grateful for that. Um, and also, gratitude has come into my life much more. You know... I, I realize that all the wonderful people, not only currently, but in the past, that God had brought into my life. I mean, they were just gifts. You know, that person that, that referred me to that other church that had that, that first meeting of 12 tips that I went to. Um, you know, and I mean, she, she was an angel. And, uh, and I, I've just had many other human angels in, in my life. And, you know, I'm, now I'm getting older, you know. And, um, and so I've always sought out, you know, older people to maybe get some little tense about life. And now I'm older. <laughs> so, so I find myself um, enjoying sometimes it, um, uh, Talking to a young a young person, uh, you know, sharing my experience, strength, and hope. I enjoy that. Um, I don't get to do it with my relative because, you know, 
They don't want to tell me their problems. I can understand that. And I don't want to tell them my problems. Um, anyway, they all know my character defects because it doesn't, I don't, you know, they're there. But, um, you know, a while back there was something that, that the, one of the stories in the, the acceptance chapter in the big book, you know, it says, focus on the problem. Thank you for five minutes. If you focus on the problem, the problem is going to increase. If you focus on the solution, the solution is going to increase. So if I get a trigger, whether it's inside my head or outside in the world, I focus on the solution immediately. I jump to the solution because I want the solution to increase. And it does. It does. Um, you know, I, um, I'm just so grateful each day for being sober. You know, I work my program one day at a time. I only have sobriety today. I can't talk about the future. You know, I only have sobriety today. And if I do the spiritual tools, I will be sober today. If I'm willing to go to any length, I, you know, I pick up the phone or journal or whatever, I will be sober today. You know, I, I get up in the morning, I get on my knees, and I ask God, God, help me to be sober today. Give me the grace to follow your guidance, your direction, and your will today. And I'm just so grateful for that, for that tool. And then I sit in my meditation chair and I, I meditate for about 25 minutes. Then I, I read prayers and then I read one a day at a time books. And then I'm ready to take my daily walk. And then I'm ready to um, eat breakfast. And then I'm ready to take a sponsor phone call. So, um, so that sets me up for my day. And then in the afternoon, I sit back in my meditation chair and I have my some more meditation, quiet time, I say I call it. And um, now with the pandemic, all this Zoom possibilities are endless. So I'm I'm never far, far from a meeting that, you know, and I have home meet, home meetings that I, I'm just so grateful for. Um in SA, two of my home meetings go into the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that really feeds, feeds me. And my other home group, we go into the white book. And, um, you know, this, this also helped me, you know, connect with other people because I'm in the same meetings consistently. And, you know, I, I just know that... Um, You know, I'm not, I'm a human being doing the best I can. I'm not perfect. Many times my life is unmanageable. And many times I, I just need a lot of help. Um, not necessarily with lust, but with just life, life in general. And, you know, I have, I'm in the process of decluttering my house and boy, it's overwhelming. But, you know, with God's grace, one day at a time, I can be sober no matter what is going on in my life. For that, I am very, very grateful. And I want to thank you all for being here. I'll end with that. Thank you, Liliana. Thank you, Liliana. Thank you, thank so you much. very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your Thank you, Liliana. Thanks, Nancy. Yeah, thanks so much, Liliana, for your share.
Um, you said like there were several things which acting out kept you from, and um, you were talking about like it kept you from emotional growth. And I was just uh, my question is now like how how could you develop emotionally or like how did the emotional growth shows in your life today since you are sober? Thank you. Well, for me, it has to do with relationships. That's how I grow. I got sick in relationships growing up. I get well in relationships now, especially with people in recovery where I can tell them who I am. Thank you. Thank you, Liliana. Um, I'm Nancy, sexaholic. Uh, first thing I wanted to say is we've got almost half of the folks here are women today, which is amazing to me. And we've got several brand new folks, which is also such a gift. Um, what I wanted to ask you, Liliana, is um, was it hard to come back? I mean, I, I've known people who've gone back out, come back, and then just there was a lot of shame and uh, they just didn't stay and it seems like there were several times when you had the opportunity to not stay um yeah I'm wondering how you dealt with the you know the the relapse and then coming back into the program especially with people you knew well you know what it was humiliating I was embarrassed but I had nowhere else to go and I could not be sober without SA. So that's the way it is. I know. I it, it, Of course, it's humiliating. I just had to humbly walk in these rooms and, you know, that's, I just did what I had to, you know, I told them how many days and whatever. And, um, and, you know, it just, it just took a long time for me to feel, um, not so humiliated, but I kept coming back and I'm so grateful, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't care if I'm going to be humiliated. If I need something, I need it. So that's, that's what kept me coming. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, you know, fortunately I'm not a famous person, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Thanks, Nancy and Liliana. Uh, I think we've got Christina up next. Hi, Liliana. Thank you so much for your share. I identified a lot, especially this uh, topic with the masturbation without real pornography, with the pornography in my head. And... It took a long time to get out of these images, and I am grateful to hear what you said. Um, I I was very good in creating pornographies here inside myself. My question is about relationships. Um, I'm sober now, but relationships, fellowship is really a problem for me. And you say you have relationships now. 
are they all from SA in your neighborhood or, or do you have friends outside of SA? Because you said where I can be time. in Thanks for the time. Thank you. Well, you know, I'm still learning about relationships, but um, I uh, have developed a few friendships. Um, there, you, one of them is from where I go to church. And, you know, I don't tell people I'm a sexaholic and, you know, there, there's no need to. I mean, most of the time they're going to get frightened anyway. You know, no amount of my talking is going to make them feel at ease once I say that word. Um, but, you know, I'm in a learning process. And uh, it's, it's, it's mainly, you know, here, in, here where I live, San Diego, there's very few women. Uh, in my meeting in San Diego, and I'm, I'm Zoom, I'm the only woman. And, and you know, um, I, I've now gone back to going to our Unity Conference in October, you know, so that I can, you know, connect more with women. But, you know, I don't push, I don't push it. It just sort of happens. You know, it just ha happens that, that uh, somebody says, hey, I'm going to go over here. You want to go? And I go, okay. You know, or it, it happens that with certain people with outreach calls, you know, I have three fellowships. So I have, you know, wow. the other ones, the other ones are mainly women. So, you know, it's plenty of women in, you know, other fellowships that I can call. You know, I would never call a man, you know, in the fellowship unless it's on a business, you know, like what's the Zoom call or uh, Zoom ID for the business meeting or something. I'm not saying never, never, because, you know, you know, something might happen. But, um, but you know, I, I just, I just practice, you know, it's like, you, if you want to get good at a game, you practice it. I'm talking about, you know, like tennis or, you know, anything you, you practice. And so I, I, when I have an opportunity to, to join somebody in an activity, a healthy activity, I, I go and I practice and I'm practicing, you know, um, and just seeing what other people do in their relationships. And so kind of trying it out, see if it works for me, not, not everything they do will work for me. So that's what I do, as uh, Christina, and I'm still in the learning process. Thank you. Thanks, Christina and Liliana. Folks with fewer than 30 days can now raise your virtual hand if you would like to share. And I'll go ahead and ask a question, Liliana. I suspect that there might be a number of folks on this call who are single. And it sounded like from your story that you wanted to be in a relationship, but getting into that relationship led to a breakdown in your, in your sobriety. I don't know if you've had sponsees, single sponsees, or what kind of counsel you give to folks who are single in the program who would like to begin sober, the process of sober dating and what that process maybe should, <laughs> should look like or ought to look like or do you have any wisdom on, on that topic? Well, I'm not sure if I have wisdom since I really haven't done sober dating. Um, um, what I've developed is friendships, you know, with, not only from people in the program, but outside of the program. And just sort of, you know, connecting in, in, a, in a 
compassionate kind of way. Um, we're all human beings, you know, we all have our challenges. And um, just keep trying to get to know people and doing it with safe, uh, healthy activities. And I think at first it's always better, you know, like a young teenager, you know, you go in a group situation to, you know, not see how they, how we, you know, practice. Um, if it comes into something more serious, then I think, you know, you need to set some boundaries for yourself, but along with your sponsor helping you to how you're going to conduct yourself. Say you want to seriously um, get involved in a, in a dating relationship with one person and talk to your sponsor about what kind of boundaries would be helpful to you so you can maintain your sobriety. And because you're not going to get to know someone. By having sex with them, believe me, you're not going to get to know them. In fact, it will stop, <laughs> stop that process. Because, um, but anyway, that's all I have to say. Thanks, Liliana. And I really appreciate that very last thing you said, because I was totally confused. I thought the sexual relationship was how you did connect, but I was totally off base on that. So thanks for that. And we're still open for shares. Yeah, Daniel, I'd like to read a share from the chat. Um, thanks, Liliana, so much. I'm sorry that you have STD. How you came to know about it is a question. How did you come to know about it? Also, I never tested myself. I never thought to do so. Do I see symptoms and then I test or just like that? Well, anyway, I had gone, I had gonorrhea. I had no idea. I had no symptoms. I um, got married and got pregnant. And my doctor brought my husband and I in and said to us, you have gonorrhea. We're going to treat you. You know, I guess they had some way to treat me. We're going to give you this medication or whatever, or the shot. Um, uh, your husband doesn't have gonorrhea. This is uh, your baby will is be safe and your baby's not going to, you know, be uh, whatever. So I was embarrassed, you know, because it was obviously in a relationship before I started dating my husband. Uh, one of those um, casual sex relationships. And um, so that's all I could do. You know, we're, you know, that's how I found out. And I'm, you know, it's serious if you don't treat it. So. And, um, you know, and I, I have been tested uh, for AIDS when the AIDS thing came out, you know, um, I test, I, I went, I was tested for AIDS and I was tested negative, but, you know, I, I, I could have died from AIDS if I had kept acting out. I'm pretty sure. Thank you. Thanks, Liliana. And thanks for the question. Floor is still open. We have time for probably three or four more questions or shares. And by the way, Liliana, you're not limited to one minute on your response if you think of other things to say. Just a questioner. <laughs> Curtis, I see your name is up. Yeah, I have a little bit more of a comment uh, than a question, but... Just uh, wanted to say good to see you, Liliana. You probably don't remember me, but I was at the Unity Conference um, in October. And I remember you sharing there. Um, I, uh, I thought you well, looked I familiar. 
Oh, good. <laughs> well, good to see you. And um, it's crazy. I've been doing a meeting a day uh, recently, and I've bumped into so many people that I met. I can't. I can't believe it. So this has been great. And I'll pass. Thanks, Curtis. And Katrin, you're up. Thank you, um, Daniel, for leading the meeting. And thank you very much, Liliana, for your share. Um, I also I had a lot of identification. Um, I have a question. And I mean, you can say, no, I don't want to share about it. Um, my question would be, if your mother would still be alive or your parents, um, how would your amends to them have looked like? Because I also, I find it very hard to... Um, yeah, make amends to my mother especially and I always feel that our relationship is in some way disturbed um, I mean I know I am a sick person and I I think that my parents are as well and uh, and so um, they are not in recovery and I do my best <laughs> with the program so that I do recover but um, I feel like I'm putting myself in a vulnerable position, making amends to my mother. Um, I don't know how to say it. Yeah, but my question is, what would your amends have looked like if um, your mother was still alive? Thank you. Well, my mother died in 2006. So um, obviously, you know, I've been in 12-step program since actually 1985. So... Um, I, I would just say to her, you know, I, I'm so sorry for um, any time I treated you disrespectfully and for my um, my attitude. I, I know now that it could have been very hurtful to you and it kept us from um, doing um, doing things together, doing, you know, sharing our lives together. That was what I would do with my mother. And with my with my father, he died in 2009. No, I'm sorry, 2014. He died in 2014. You know, I would say, I would just say, you know, Dad, you know, I, I'm just, um, you know, so sorry that, that, that I just, I just had a hard time. Um, meeting any of your expectations and and I'm I'm sorry that I I couldn't have um honored more honored you more with how hard you worked and how dedicated you were to your family I, I wish I could have just told you that that's that's what I would say right now. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Kathleen and Liliana. That was quite touching. Thank you. Um, there is a question in the chat before we get to Sue. Uh, Willow is asking, what advice do you have for step four? I've written a couple of resentments, but I really want to do this step properly. That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no perfect way to do step four. Step four is so messy. 
you know, and it just, you know, I, I've done many step fours and it just, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have a good sponsor to, to direct you. Uh, if, you know, like I had one sponsor in SA, you know, I was doing my step four and, she, and you know, I, I think one of the questions and she kept pointing out that I was dishonest. And um, in fact, I was getting irritated with her about that. So one time I said, I'm going to trick her. I'm going to, I'm going to tell her this thing. And I'm going to say, first of all, oh, and I was dishonest. And then she goes, oh, no, you weren't. I go, oh, shit. I, you know, I didn't even trick her. But, but, you know, you know, I'm in a step study now. And, you know, I'm just going to do what they tell me to do. And then they give me a certain time. I have to finish the step. And if, even if I don't feel if I finished it, I, it's done. Then I have to tell my sponsor I'm going to give it to her. And we make an appointment and I give it to her. And that's the way it is. And I move on. Because I know I'll be doing another fourth step in case something else comes up. And I do little mini fourth steps here and there because opportunities do come up where I get a little, you know, frustrated, resentful. So it requires, you know, looking into my part. Anyway, that's all I have to say. Thanks, Willow, for that question. And Liliana, uh, Sue, you're up. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Liliana. This is just wonderful. Two questions. <laughs> uh, number one, yeah, I mean, again, if this doesn't speak to you, but um, if you, uh, how do you, step two, I always says come to believe, come to believe, but how do you have, or have you heard of ways of overcoming a deep distrust of a higher power? Um you know, just not sort of feeling the higher power is out to get you or the higher power will do it for everybody but you. Um, and uh, the second thing was you talked about ACA and Al-Anon. So did you feel like, you know, that those that those programs didn't work for you or are worthless? Any what not worthless. That's the right. That's not a right. A good question. But they they weren't helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'll pass. On to the second question first. Every program has been helpful to me. I'm still in Al-Anon. It's very helpful to me. I'm in food addicts and recovery. It's very helpful to me. Every meeting I attend with other fellowships on Zoom is very helpful to me. I've never wasted a moment by going to a meeting. It's always been a blessing. That's my second. The first part is, I agree with you. I did not trust my higher power. I knew if my higher power wanted the best for me, he would have me washing toilets somewhere, somehow, you know, you know, dealing with the mutt and grut of, you know, some horrible malady of humanity. And, um, and I, you know, I, I loved my higher power. I just didn't trust my higher power, you know. Um, and so what I started doing that's helpful, um, this has been several years, I say, I say to my higher power, I trust you. I just verbally say it. I trust you. And, um, 
And more and more, I get the feeling that that my higher power wants me to enjoy life. You know, wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. So, yeah, that's that's neat. You know, before it was like I'm gonna, he's gonna, I'm gonna have to pay for all my sins by doing some dirty, you know, dirty work, like you know, you know, something that I don't want to do, basically. Um, but now, now I have more of a feeling that that you know, happy, joyous, and free is not bad. That my higher power wants for me. So, but I still have to say that that mantra: "I trust, I trust you, I trust you." I still say it. I still mm-hmm. say it. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Liliana. Thank you. Thanks for the question, Sue and Liliana. We still have time for one uh, question or or comment, possibly to ah, Yuval, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask what sobriety means to you. What is your perception of sobriety, Liliana? Okay, that's a good question. Um, you know, lust is still going to come around. You know, in terms of whether it's inside me or outside me. But, you know, God is more powerful than lust. And um, the fellowship is more powerful than lust. The steps are more powerful than lust. All the other spiritual tools that I can turn to. So it, it means for me to be physically, spiritually, and emotionally fit. If I'm not spiritually fit, I am more than vulnerable to lust. So that's why I have to maintain on a daily basis my spiritual fitness. And that's all that's what sobriety means to me. Thank you. Thank you, Val and Liana. And we do have time for one real quick one. If someone has uh, something on the tip of their tongue. I wanted to ask if um, that was Yuval's question, or I think you were said you were new. If you want to know um, to what what sobriety is, how do, how do I word this? What essays sobriety means, definition means? I don't know if that's what your question was. That's not what my question was, but if you're willing to answer that as well, I, I'd love to hear that. Did you follow that, Liliana? Say that, say that again. The well, Nancy, Nancy was just trying to uh, clarify Uwa's question to make sure it was completely answered and wondered if it also had to do with the, the sobriety definition, the SA sobriety definition, and if you had any words uh, about that. Well, you know, well, basically, you know, I, I'm, I, I belong to a traditional religion. I, a traditional kind of culture, you know, my ethnic culture, very traditional. So, you know, I'm, that's, that's what I, men and women, we were created to procreate, you know, um, and that's that's very much in line with uh, what I believe. 
and um and that um i i'm that's why i'm in essay because because it was a sobriety definition i mean i have gone to sla a meeting and i even gone to an saa meeting but i need the sobriety definition of sa Thanks, Liliana. That, that was pretty clear. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.